welcome to the Mobility Society podcast series. My name is Cash Alberto, Delft Design Researcher and General Mobility Enthusiast. Mobility Society is an initiative by design researchers at TU Delft who are investigating the role of mobility in society and exploring its potential for the future. This might sound very abstract, and in a way it is, but it's also a fundamental aspect of everyday life. In this series, we'll speak with experts in some fields you might expect, like automotive design and urbanism, but also in some unexpected ones, like psychology, design and history. In this first episode, we're talking to Loewe Vermeersch, founder and creative director of Grand Studio, a mobility research and design studio based in Turin. Together, we tackle the enigmatic concept of mobility, including stargazing, how trains shape London, the 15-minute city, and Loewe's vision of the future, plus the upcoming Mobility Society book. Enjoy. So, Loewe, thank you so much for joining us today on the Mobility Society podcast. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. It's always lovely to talk about mobility. So your main role in the initiative, as I understand it, is to do with producing its upcoming book, which focuses on bridging the gap between design research and practice. But before we get into that, I'd like to know, what does the Mobility Society initiative mean to you? Um, for me, that initiative uh, personally is a, is a great opportunity you know, to, to further continue to investigate, trying to clarify in you know, what mobility is all about and especially what that relation between mobility and society actually is. How does it work? What does it mean? Because we kind of all kind of feel that there's a strong relation, but it's much harder if you really start to look into it more in detail or, or try to formulate it. And so for me, the, the initiative, you know, being in contact with so many people, experts in that field, uh, hearing different opinions around this is a great opportunity to, to further deepen that. And, uh, and I think it's a very relevant thing to do also. I think it's a very relevant uh, initiative because we understand that mobility will play and needs to play a big role in the way we'll shape uh, our future societies. And uh, but actually, I think there's still not so much known about it. So having this uh, uh, initiative to, to look into that, bring people together, uh, which in a way is also a call to action, I think is a very relevant thing. So I'm also yeah, very happy that uh, Matthijs van Dijk invited me to create a book and, and to be part of it. Yeah, fantastic. Can you tell us more about the book? How does that relate to the initiative overall? What's the goal for you with producing this book? Right, the book, in a way, is um, is uh, exploring the answer to the question, what is mobility and how does mobility relate to, to society? And, and it's, of course, a question to which I don't have like, uh, a, a ready answer. I think nobody has. And uh, the book is um, exploring that. And it's doing it in a way which, uh, for me, needs to be very uh, attractive, uh, in a way that uh, literally attracts the people to uh, the subject, and also doing it uh, in a juxtaposition of many different disciplines, many different uh, opinions, so that uh, out of that hopefully can emerge a little better, uh, better understanding. And to do that, I. The, the field, the, the, the scope uh, of the book starts quite wide. 
to make sure that we, we look at the subject with what we call the right mobility lenses. Can you clarify that for me? That's an interesting term, a mobility lens. What is that exactly? That's something that came up when uh, working on the book, uh, doing together with uh, Cosenza Milano and Walter Haspeslag. And it's about, I think, essentially, it's about looking at the world, looking at society around us through mobility, through an understanding that mobility is really one of the underlying forces that shape everything uh, which is around us. And to understand it, I think it's easier to, to grasp that when we make even one step back, one uh, further zooming out and look at the world around us and understand that actually everything is movement. Now, if you, if you look at a rock or a mountain, you know, we, would, we tend to see it as a static thing. But that rock itself is moving. We just, it's just moving at a pace that we don't see it. And the same happens for the small scale of things. If we would zoom in in any object which we perceive as static around us, but we zoom in, you would see that at the micro level, at the atoms, everything is moving. Electrons are moving. And so that's for me the first step, to understand that what we define as static, we only define it as static because we don't see the movement of it. But first of all, everything is in movement. Everything is a flow, flows of different pace, different uh, velocities. But of course, within the initiative and also uh, uh, in the book, within that we focus on mobility. And in that I'd like to follow the definition of Peter Addy, who says that mobility in a way is movement with meaning, movement with intention. So I think it's a nice way to approach it because it does allow to, on the one hand, narrow down the field to have uh, focus, but on the other hand, keep it open enough to keep it uh, relevant. Because I think one of the fundamentals of everything uh, we do and also uh, one of the underlying principles of the book is to really get that understanding that mobility kind of sits more under what we uh, what we have, what we see, what we are. And I think there's m too much tendency just to look at the expressions of mobility. And it's easy to see a car that is driving in the street and think that that is mobility. But that's just one end of it. It's an end of a, of a chain. And I think it's uh, very important to get those mobility lenses on and look at, at the world with a deeper understanding of where things come from, because otherwise we risk uh, to just act on the symptoms of mobility and not on the underlying causes. And I think that's the relevance of it, to, to understand that many of the things that we generally would define uh, as mobility in a way are just the symptoms of it. And also with that understanding then comes the capacity to act on the causes rather than on the symptoms. Fantastic. Yeah, the word intention really resonates with me. And it, it sounds like the book, as you say, is a call to action for designers, for people working with mobility in general to not only act in the world, but to change their perspective on what mobility actually means. And I'm wondering if you always had this incredibly nuanced perspective on mobility, because listening to you talk about it is amazing. You have such a, a broad view of it. Did you always feel this way about mobility? Um. 
maybe intuitively, yes. I mean, one of the reasons why I created uh, my partners, our own studio, is because uh, at a certain f- point it, it felt wrong for me to, to just be acting on, uh, in my case, just, just the vehicles. And so intuitively, yes, but it's through the last uh, five, ten years where I really systematically started reading everything I got my hands on, which was about mobility, that I started to get a little bit more of understanding. And that understanding for me, it helped a lot to uh, zoom out, not just spatially, as we just uh, mentioned before, but also zoom out in time. And so if we look beyond our century, if we look beyond, let's say, the car century, but we really zoom out far, far, far away, at the origins of society, at the origins of civilization, then it suddenly becomes much easier to see that actually a lot of what happened had the mobility as an underlying force to it. You know, whether it's uh, in the beginning, people could basically only decently move on water. So everything was created next to the water and, and so forth. And so with that came a little bit more uh, understanding of the subject. And with that also grew my my fascination for it. It's interesting how we still have echoes of those earlier forms of mobility today. You know, as soon as you mention waterways, I'm thinking of the Netherlands and all the wonderful canals you have here and imagining how those used to be used to transport goods, I imagine, around different cities and also from one city to another. Also reminds me of how... I heard that in the olden days, uh, cattle and livestock would have to be moved from farms outside of the city into the city centre to be slaughtered. And so that was the origins of movement in terms of roads in that sense. But now today, everything is self-contained. It's it's so interesting to me how we have these imprints of previous ideas of mobility in our cities today and how we perhaps adapt those to our more modern uses. Yeah, absolutely. And to take an example, probably close from your home, if you look at London, for example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, London is a great example to kind of uh, make look at it with mobility lenses and, and make increase the understanding of how mobility is one of the underlying forces. Is that, first of all, London is on the Thames. Yeah? Because uh, to get enough food uh, for enough people until very recently, actually, waterways were by far the fastest and the safest means to to move uh, uh, things in and out of the city. Because the city is, I think, another thing important to see is that societies, cities, even a house, I think, is not a kind of end point of a mobility. It's just an element in between flows that go in and out, and it happens in between flows. And of course, then it also acts upon it once it became uh, something which is fixed. But to stick with London, London, of course, also grew because uh, in that period, it had a domination over the seas, which was fundamentally a domination of what mobility, at least mobility of material and was then. Uh, But it also... Uh, a country that, um, if I'm not mistaken, created the first country debt, which was nothing else than it increased the mobility of capital. 
to increase the mobility of the flow, mm -hmm. which allowed to create much more ships than the others. So they could conquer the world. And of course, London was the center of that and it grew. And now to go to, to the cattle, but until the trains came, in fact, the cattle were in the cities. But why? Is because otherwise there was no way to get, for example, the milk or even the meat on the plate of people before it became dangerous for their health. Only when the trains came, they suddenly could get milk from much farther away and still have it fast enough in the city to be uh, still fresh to be uh, to drink it. And of course, all these elements have a very uh, fundamental effect on how we live. And this is not just about the streets and so on. It also, of course, has effects on how we organize our societies and so on. I think it's also very important for me to always state that this is not just about mobility of the physical things. You know, as I mentioned, it's also mobility of uh, capital, mobility of ideas that goes with that and so forth. So London is a nice example. I think Carolyn Steele, who will uh, uh, contribute to the event, uh, made some great uh, books and, uh, and lectures uh, about that. And if you look at those stories with those mobility lenses, then you suddenly understand that our society and our history is not created through political treaties or just wars, as in my case, for example, I was teached when I was a kid. No, those were just more consequences of all those flows that were happening. And, uh, and those, uh, I think, are the interesting ways to, to look at it. Yeah, London is a really interesting one now that you mention it. So as as you correctly say, I'm, I'm from England, obviously, with my extremely British accent, but I'm also from the south, close to London, um, and I used to live and work there. And thinking, reflecting on my experience as a temporary Londoner, you really begin to perceive not only physical things, like you say, streets and, and the city as a whole, but also your life and your time around the tube, around the train network, even though compared to other forms of transport we have today, it's relatively antiquated and the tubes are definitely very old. Some of them really do feel Victorian. But the way that you navigate the city is centered around those tube stops and your knowledge of the connections to each other. So that's a really fascinating thing for me, having lived there, that people are still prescribing to this old kind of model of what mobility is living their lives today because it shaped the development of the city so heavily, like you said. Uh, absolutely. And I think fundamentally for me, it's about two kind of tension fields. One is the kind of spatial tension field. Like if you use the metro or the train as example, it obliges you to get on the vehicle in pre-fixed points. You know? Fixed points which do not always coincide with where you want to go exactly. So there, there's, a, there's a tension between that. And then there's another tension field, which is the time. Uh, buses, the metro much less, the train, is kind of imposing a scheme, a time scheme upon our lives. We need to act based on that. So again, you know, this is influencing how we live. You know, it's not just a physical thing there. And... I think it's interesting there also to make a small sidestep and remind that time was actually heavily influenced by, for example, the arrival of the trains. Because before really? the arrival of the trains, every city had its 
own time zone. There was no need to align the different cities. And that only when like chaos. <laughs> exactly. It became chaos when you suddenly had these fast trains that were uh, connecting between cities and things didn't match up again, Not, didn't match up anymore. And that's when we had to create time zones and agree which time we would follow. And John Ori uh, specifies very nicely, he says, the train in a way helped to create clock time. Because, of course, the, the factories and industrialization also had a big influence on that. But it creates societies that acted according to, to clock time. We, we were uh, uh, got used to act within certain time schemes and so forth. And it's exactly, I think, that yeah, more older scheme of schedules and clock time that is now creating that tension field with today where is an age where we live in instantaneous time, you know, and with the arrival of virtual reality, augmented reality, digitalization, I think we even go to kind of parallel time. And I think that's what then you feel also when you use those trains or metros within the current way of living, for example, in London, it doesn't always match. There's some, some friction there because Today, we like to act more on the fly. You know? And of course, uh, mobile communication contributes enormously to that. You know, how many of us really still plan things unless we have these meetings also online? But if, if you <laughs> need to meet with people on the bar, it's, it's on the fly. It's, it's constantly, literally flowing, I think. Yeah, and, spontaneous. And, yes, and that way of living time is sometimes at friction with some means of uh, mobility which are more rooted in a different way of, uh, of living time. So for me, fundamentally, it's about those two different uh, tension fields, in a way, which can be positive tension, of course, not necessarily negative. Yeah. But I think those, for me, uh, give a good uh, reading also on how we then need to move forward to the future. Because uh, to me, it means that if we want to create mobility that's really adapted by people, then we need to look on how we can uh, release that tension or take it away, and which is mm -hmm. fundamentally going to even higher fluidity uh, in both in our behavior and, uh, and the actions that we can do. It's interesting, you know, this idea of tension, again, that really resonates with me as someone who used to live and work in London and how... Yeah, there's this contrast between the attitudes we've begun to develop in our more modern societies of wanting everything now yeah. and not wanting to wait for anything. Exactly. I think I completely agree that mobile communication has a huge role to play in that in terms of expecting everything on your doorstep before you even think of it. Exactly. But then this contrast with the tube system again, where people forget that it's a very, very old system. You know, some of these these tunnels are 100 years old almost. But they still expect that modality of when I walk on that platform, I want to walk straight onto the tube. And if it's not there, if I have to wait for even one minute, that's a failing of that system. That's not my optimal mode of mobility. So people have these much more modernized attitudes, but they're working with a much older infrastructure. And one tries to adapt to the other somehow, you know, like more tubes per hour. And then people feel like it's getting better, but it's still like a fundamentally different attitude, I think. So yep. 
I wonder I wonder what you're thinking as well about the the nature of cars in cities and how that leads us to a greater level of autonomy but also perhaps a very different way of viewing movement and space than someone who's walking through a city using a more traditional I suppose form of transport what do you think about that well I think the the, the, the car I think is a great example of how initially it really promised and in the beginning also actually did resolve that tension because you know it had the promise of you can go where you want when you want that that was for me fundamentally a big part of the car and of course it was comfort and so forth and that's why so many people you know connect the, the concept of freedom to to cars but i think that was just the initial uh, promise but of course it didn't deliver because it was i think an individual promise it was a promise to every individual could have that freedom have your car in front of you on in front of your door and take it when you want but what didn't work and i think that is a big change that we need to have when you think about mobility of the future is that the collective consequences of everybody doing that were not i think fully taken into uh, account so if we go then to the future i don't think we should reason whether we need cars or this or that it's obvious that to me that we need to go into that directions that increase that uh, frequency you know, so that you don't need to wait you don't need to plan which means a more fluid integration into our uh, behavior and of course uh, also a, a more i don't know if the word is right a coupler uh, uh, more fragmented uh, mm. mobility so meaning that i can go where i want and of course all that uh, with the underlying uh, needs of sustainability uh, giving quality to the public space and so forth and so forth but fundamentally that's the direction we need to go and then of course the car is not the right answer to do that in certain uh, areas and i think yeah. fundamentally what you get there in, in our European cities is that those cities were not built around cars. They were built around foot transport, basically, and yeah. around those uh, rivers and so forth. So you get a kind of fundamental conflict between the fixation that we created in the city, in the architecture, which we can't move, and I think also we shouldn't move, and uh, this abundance of cars that kind of filled it up and by filling it up, kind of took away or or uh, killed its initial uh, promise. So for me, the, the future is to uh, look much more into not just a single thing like, like a car, but much more into the relation between the elements, the relation between uh, a means of mobility and its surroundings. Like in cities, you will need different kinds of mobility than what you will need outside of the cities. Big parts of the world are built around the car. You can't immediately do away with that. So there, in many cases, like on a highway also in Europe, that is the natural habitat for a car or let's say an individual uh, uh, vehicle. But we will need to come up with many, many more 
different types of mobility. I'm not just talking about means. I'm also talking about uh, how we move or how we decide not to move or how we create alternatives for moving and to give a much more um, multiple answer to the future. And I think that's been one of the problems of the last century. It, it looked for a moment that we had the answer. Now we know it was yeah. not the answer. So now we know that we look into multiple answers. And that's why also I don't buy or don't like any future scenario which repeats the past by kind of promising that there's one certain type of technology that will solve it all. God, there's so many moving parts in this. So many. Yes. I mean, the more the more you look, the more you see, like looking at stars in the sky at night. It's incredible. The more you talk about it, I'm connecting the dots mentally and thinking, oh, yeah, that that is mobility as well. It's everywhere. Yeah. And now I'm wondering, how on earth do you go about managing all of these different things, these different scales as well? You're talking about how individual actions, values and needs can also influence things on a city-wide scale and even an entire country. Yep. As someone who is involved in the mobility space, how on earth do you balance all of those different scales and, and values in your work? Big, big questions. <laughs> um, before going there, it's nice to hear you say that, that uh, you say that you then start to see it because I think that goes also back to your first question about what this initiative is about. And I think it would be great if we could help people to, to see it more. And here I often use the metaphor that imagine we sit in a room where everything is red. Then the color we're probably least likely to see is red. Only when you step out of it, you suddenly see it. So this is, I think, uh, the great thing of, of really zooming that out to kind of see it and then zoom back and I'll get to your uh, question. And understanding, I think this is really for me the exciting part also as, as designer, as uh, uh, somebody who has a practice uh, who works in the field, is that when we zoomed out, we also understood that many of these big things happening are consequences of small individual actions. Uh, just the cars, for example, uh, I mentioned. It's, there was one moment in time, a couple of per people who created a car. And uh, that so many people picked it up, created something bigger. Now, that same principle is valid for every of the actions that we do within that field. You, know? you can by putting a stone slightly different in a flow, you can have an impact on how that flow goes and then how that flow starts to differently shape the landscape. And I think this is where uh, I hope that in, with the initiative and also with the book, I really hope that it can make that on the one hand, we understand that yes, it's, it's super big, subject and every overlaps and everything connects and it makes it exciting but at the same time it's also showing that what a great opportunity it is to act just at human level between our also our individual possibilities or the individual or possibilities as an organization and knowing that because we interact with flows it could have a, have a big impact later and that's what i meant a bit with at the beginning is that I think it's very important that we understand that we need to act 
on the causes, on the roots, and not just on the symptoms. Because acting on the symptoms, I think, is, is a lost cause. Because it's such a sub big subject, because it's such a big scale, it's like, uh, but if you can suddenly can see that in that huge complexity, often the roots or the causes are simple actions on the individual level, then it also shows what the potential that mobility has to be uh, one of the elements that helps us to shape our societies for the future. Okay, so you're talking about these individual actions that have a much larger contribution than just the individual scale. I'm kind of, I'm struggling a little bit to, to imagine what that might look like, for example, for me or an average person. Can you give me some examples? So let's, let's take two examples. One a bit in the, in the past, a kind of obvious example is the invention, not just of the elevator, but the blocking system of the elevator. Once they found a way to avoid that elevators could fall uh, down and will people die. By the way, that was by integrating an element which came out of the suspension of carriages. Once, oh, yeah, right. once you had that, then suddenly we could build higher. We could create vertical cities. We were no longer limited to walking up the stairs, which also kind of created social segregation because, you know, the higher up, the more difficult, uh, uh, the cheaper. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of how something very small can have a very big uh, impact. Looking more into the future, I would like to take an example which is not physical, uh, because as I said, mobility is about much more than that. But we have seen how flows have this huge impact also on what we do and, and how society is created. And from that point of view, um, really intrigued by new technologies like, for example, blockchain, who seem to have the capacity to kind of let us have a better understanding of this flow because, you know, you can create digital uh, identity. So every product we buy in the, in the shop could have its own story, its own passport, its own identity. So if we would get to a point that I can easily see or check that something that I have in the shop and understand whether it's coming from uh, the city next to me or it's coming from the other side of the city, sorry, the other side of the world. And even if it's sold to me as a bio, but maybe it traveled for 8,000 kilometers on a very polluting ship, then that knowledge, that flow of information can and should impact on my behavior. And if we collectively all change our behavior, that then will, of course, have a big impact on those flows. So that's another example on something how very small, in this case, not even physical, uh, has that potential through wide adoption to have these big uh, impacts. That's fascinating. It sounds like there's almost another layer of mobility that goes beyond the physical, as we've been discussing so far, but a kind of virtual or digital mobility layer that goes on top this idea of informational mobility that's really fascinating to me absolutely i think it's it's very it's much easier of course to speak about the physical manifestation of mobility and it, it does has a big uh, uh, part in the whole story but it's essential to me that 
we first define mobility within a broader field, build field which is not just physical, as I mentioned, it's also about the mobility of capital, mobility of ideas, mobility of viruses, you know, to give a very recent uh, example. Um, because only, only by looking at the relation between the different flows, I think we can start to formulate more, say, inclusive, more complete answers. And that's part of what I said. If we only look at the partial elements of it, of, of the symptoms of it, I don't think it will, on the long term, really uh, change something. And you're absolutely right. I mean, what's happening now, uh, accelerated by the uh, pandemic of how we suddenly understand that we can travel more virtually, uh, we, we can meet online. And that's, of course, just the beginning. That's just the beginning. We... In the studio, we work a lot, of course, with all the virtual reality and augmented reality technologies. And it's very easy to understand that how these will have an impact and again here also should have an impact on our mobility behavior. So it's only by looking at the mobility as not just the physical, but also the, the non-physical aspects of it. I think that we can really see new directions. I think that's something actually also really exciting is going on that I do think that there's some fundamental change going on there. And I'm not a person that kind of, uh, as I mentioned before, is jumping on a technology bandwagon or so mm -hmm. on. Again, I don't think technology is just, uh, is, is the solution, but it does uh, something that can uh, help us to create uh, different ways of, uh, of doing things. Yeah, this VR and AR space is really quite topical at the moment with the introduction of, of the metaverse concept and NFTs and all of these kind of related technologies. Where do you see this going in your, your own work in the future? You mentioned that for you, it's quite clear how this is going to affect our future perception and ideas of mobility. So what does that look like in terms of your work? Um, maybe it's more interesting to... to project it a little bit more uh, general because my work is of course very very specific and I think yeah. like with everybody it means that we can travel less but putting that a little bit more general terms I think it's about the fact that just as we mentioned before that mobility should not be the same format everywhere no, it shouldn't be the same car everywhere I think in the same way we need to start to reason into which type of mobility is adapted to which type of things we need to do. And the whether we move physically should become more a choice, not a standard uh, given. So, And that's happening now, of course. Uh, so we choose to move physically, and we should only do it, I think, when it has a physical meaning, because that's also necessary to go towards more sustainable uh, mobility. But we also choose to do it virtually with VR or AR or just online. And so the type of mobility also from that point of view should be adapted to uh, how um, of what we need to reach and what is the meaning is of the mobility that we uh, that we chose at the beginning. So Loie, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a, a truly fascinating conversation and really informative for me as someone who's enthusiastic about mobility but doesn't have half the experience you do to learn how complex and multi-layered it is. 
So before we say our goodbyes for today, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us about mobility, about the Mobility Society initiative? More than a final thought, more like a final curiosity. It's, uh, uh, I'm really curious now to see um, what's going to happen also within the initiative because we're going to have all those experts from those different disciplines gathering together, exchanging ideas. And uh, so I'm really curious to see how it will shift also my and, uh, and everybody's understanding. And um, so I think this is a bit of the state of mind also that I like to be in this, not with kind of final conclusive thoughts, but more with uh, I think those mobility lenses just kind of is an ignition uh, uh, of something and uh, we just increase the uh, the wish and the curiosity to, to learn more about it. And so I'm really looking forward now uh, to see what's going to happen and, uh, and also to listen to the following uh, podcasts. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.